I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 127. And this morning we're going to talk about how to build your family. How to build your family. Family is a big, big deal. As the church, for instance, you know, we're not like just an organization. You understand that? We're not like, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the Rotary Club or something like that. Just a bunch of people that came together. Actually, we're a family. We're, we're the family of God. You have to like me. I am your brother. You understand that? <laughs> so get happy. But, but we are a family. And family is what God's all about. He created people because he wanted a family. When you think about the way God does things, from the very beginning, he created a marriage. So the Bible, you could say, in, uh, begins with a marriage. The Bible ends with a marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's talked about uh, when Jesus uh, brings the church to heaven and we're, we get glorified bodies and we'll have a, uh, like the, the fulfillment. We're like engaged to Jesus right now, okay? You could say it that way. But there's coming a day we will be, we'll be fully married to him. And, and in that, right now we have a new spirit. But there's coming a day we get a new body. Won't that be cool? And be, we'll be all. Can, can you imagine? Because, you know, as you hang on the earth for a while, things begin to go downhill. I can't wait. I get abs back. Glorified body. I'll be the, you'll be the best looking you've ever been. And that's real hope for the future when you look in the mirror this morning. But anyway, uh, (laughs) but so we begin with the marriage, end with the marriage, and all in between the pages of the Bible is a family story, and this family is very dysfunctional, but we all fit in there, and we're a family. So understanding family helps us understand how God thinks, and uh, understand this about family, God Say it this way. Life is not all about the stuff you, you accumulate. Life is about relationships. And family is the most important. It's the seminal relationship that life is to be built on. And God doesn't want you, for instance, just to, I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Uh, he doesn't want to, you to get so busy in the ministry working for him. And Trudy talked about that. We need to be working for him. And, and yet, it's not just based on achievement and it's not based on how many people you reach, but, but it really should begin in your house, in your family. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. There's a, a great evangelist back at the turn of the 20th century named Billy Sunday. And I mentioned this in the marriage seminar. Some of you weren't there, so I'll talk about it again. Billy Sunday was born in 1862. He died in 1935. He was a professional baseball player that got saved. And had a life-transforming event with Jesus Christ and began to preach. He's like the Billy Graham of the day. This is before mass media. This is before TV. Uh, And Billy Sunday did all these crusades. And it is said that he reached over uh, 100 million people heard him preach. And he shook the hands of, that's what they did back in those, those days. Everybody that got saved shook their hand. And he shook the hands of over one million people personally. So he, he had a great impact in the world. He was, uh, I read a little bit about him. He's a real fiery preacher. He was a lot of fun to listen to. So he drew people. And he had all these quotes, uh, the, these great quotes. And I'll, I'll give you one of Billy Sunday's quotes. It's pretty cool. He said this, your reputation is what people say about you. But your character is what God and your wife know about you. That ought to be in the Bible. <laughs> but uh, on his deathbed, so sad, 
This is his quote. I quote Billy Sunday on his deathbed. I have two sons in hell today. If I had it to do all over again, I would give up the world and win my sons. He was sad at the end of his life. I don't think he's saying that I wouldn't have obeyed God. I think he's saying maybe I was too busy thinking about everybody else when I should have put a little more time in on my house, on my family. Because God does not want to use you up at the expense of your family, okay? I'm, I'm focusing you on what's important in life. So you got to understand that family was designed as a seminal relationship where people are married, produce kids. And I'll tell you one thing about little kids. They help you as an adult. Because little kids will help you keep it real in life. Little kids help you from getting kind of religious and weird because they're so real. They'll just say anything. They'll tell you what they're thinking. We have a granddaughter that tells you what she's thinking. Her name is Bo. And Bo is, her last name is Blunt like ours. And she, that is so fitting for her because she is so blunt. Like one day, I'm, she was smaller a couple of years ago. And I'm holding Bo. And, and Bo says this. I think she was four. <laughs> she says, your name is Papa, a.k.a. Yellow Teeth. <laughs> and I went out and got my teeth cleaned after that. Uh, his kids will just tell you what they're thinking. Isn't that, isn't that something? So Psalm 127. Let's look at this psalm. Because the Jews believe that this is like the blueprint for building, biblically building your family. Psalm 127. And Psalm 127 is a part of Psalms 120, Psalm 134. And these are psalms, if you read it in your Bible. Uh, the beginning part of each one of these psalms says, a song of ascents. Right? Is that what your Bible says? Uh, electronically or whatever, uh, paper Bible, a song of ascents. What does that mean? Well, these Psalms, 120 through 134, were songs that the children of Israel would sing and quote when they were coming every year to one of the three major festivals, that they were required to come to Jerusalem three times a year. The Jews had seven festivals, or like, you know, we're about to have a fall festival, right? Where people come and, well, they had these festivals to bring them back to Jerusalem where the presence of God was in the temple so they could come reconnect with God. Their major festivals were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. These are the big three. There were seven, but these were the big three. And if you were a Jew, you had to, no matter where you lived in Israel, you were required to come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate these festivals. So, as they're coming into Jerusalem, and, and Israel's not a very big country, so you know you're not going thousands of miles. It's the size of New Jersey. But you did have to make a, a trip. And so, when you're coming into to, to Jerusalem, you're ascending because it's built on a hill. And then when you, when you go to the temple, you, you walk up steps. So they would begin, on their journey, they would begin to sing different ones of these psalms. To remind themselves. For instance, one of the Psalms says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, the house of the Lord is now not in Jerusalem anymore. You understand? And the house of the Lord, we could say it's the church, and it is. But yet even more profound is the house of the Lord is you. <laughs> That's why we worship this morning, because we're coming up, not just to a place, but in, in spirit we come up now, Right? And, and so this was like one of the psalms that reminded them, or the psalm that reminded them about family, because family is the building block of life, right? So look in verse 1. Let's, let's just, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll point out a couple of things about this this morning. 
And here's what it says. Unless the Lord builds the house, or you could put, you could, uh, and you can find this in your concordance, house means family. So we're talking about building your family. Unless the Lord builds the family, we could say, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Why does it say that right up front? Let's keep reading. It's vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Why does it say that? Because your family could could drive you nuts if you allow it to. (laughs) Kids can do that. Sometimes in marriage, you, you butt heads. Don't look at me so religiously. I know how this works. I've been married 48 years nearly. No, I have been married 48 years. And sometimes I don't do what Trudy wants me to do. And it can cause some friction, right? So what God's saying here right up front is he said, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Don't get all in, in, in you know, and strive. But, but trust in the Lord because he wants to give you peace and sleep. And sleep's important in life, right? So, uh, verse 3, keep reading. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Uh, In the Message Bible, I like the way it says this. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? I'll come back to that. But like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. You know, some people have read that and thought if you had too many children, it could make you quiver. And it, it could... That's a dumb joke, but people always laugh at it. Uh, No, quiver is actually an arrow holder. And God's saying, hey, you're blessed if you have a lot of kids. And then it says this, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. That's kind of vague to us. But here's what that's talking about. In Bible times, cities had gates around them, or walls around them, I'm sorry. And you had a gate to get into the wall. And... People would go to the gate. I think it was kind of like the coffee shop of, of, of the day when I was growing up. My dad, when I was a little kid, was a farmer. And we were always going to the coffee shop where all the farmers would hang out. And there'd be, you know, 20 farmers. We'd sit around tables. And all these farmers would talk. And that's what they did back in those days. They would go to the gate. And men that were prominent and were respected were listened to more at the gate. And what God's saying here is your children, uh, God doesn't want them to be ashamed, but He wants there to be a day that they will speak with the enemy in the gate. Or they'll be people of prominence if we train them properly. And that's where I'm going with this. But let me just break down a couple of things about this this morning because they believe, the Jews believe, this is a blueprint for building your family. Number one, you have to honor your unique roles in marriage. If you're going to have a good house, honor your unique roles. Now, back to the beginning of this psalm. Uh, except, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build. Except the Lord uh, keep the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The, the Jews believe this is the identity of the man and the woman in marriage. And the man is the watchman. I'm sorry, the man is the builder. Thank you, honey. The man is the builder and the wife is the watcher. What does that mean? Real basically different identities. You're not the same. And men are designed to build or to lead, to be the leader of the family. Not the boss, not the grand poopah, right? But the leader of the family. The way we lead our family ideally is it begins with us following God. We need men that will rise up and follow God. But then your wife is the watcher. She has a unique role, the watcher. Women just see things. We talked about this in detail this 
weekend. But uh, uh, w- women have this ability to see things men can't see. They just they, they have this DNA that is such a wonderful thing, so detailed. Women see details that men just can't see. And God has designed you in your unique roles to be a team that accomplishes something in life. That you serve God, and because you're serving God, you're here for great purpose. We talked a lot yesterday about purpose. You are here, and God has purpose for your life. Not just to get saved and go to heaven, no, but to to be an influence in the world with your giftings. There are giftings in you. So men are to lead, but women see things. Now, think about the way things began. Here's Adam in the garden, serving God in the Garden of Eden. He came along first, right? But then there's a time that we don't know how much time passed, but God looked at that situation and says, it's not good that this guy's alone. He needs a helper, a help meet is what we talked about. We won't get into that like we did yesterday. If you didn't make the seminar, buy some of our stuff. Our book talks about that in great detail. What it means to be a help meet, not help mate, but a help meet, right? But uh, God says, it's not good for you to be alone. So God took, the Bible says, the rib from the side of Adam. Remember that? Genesis 2.23. And so we read that word rib, and, and you know, we think you got 12 ribs on each side of your rib cage. So when you just read that in the English and you think, well, woman is the rib, that kind of sounds insignificant. Because, you know, you got, you lose one, but you got 11 more, right? But that really, that's not the best rendering of that word. That's the English way they translated it, but it's not really a good way to translate it. Because really in the Hebrew language that this was written in, that means the side was taken out of the man. See, it's like you could live without a rib. It's like you go to eat lunch today after church and you wouldn't go to a restaurant and say, I'll have a rib. <laughs> right? That's not enough. You need, I need ribs. Plural. <laughs> Bring me 15, 20 ribs. That's what I want. <laughs> but that's, that's not good. It's the side. God took this. It's nearly like he cut Adam in two. And we don't know what that looked like. But somehow God pulls this huge part out of this guy and creates this companion to walk with him and to be a help in his life so they can fulfill their their destiny. And women have this watcher, remember? They have this watching thing that works all the time. If you're a husband, you, you can understand this. This is why when you pull up to a stoplight and you're driving and you understand when the light's red, I stop. How many know you stop on red? Yep. Raise your hand up. Okay. But when it's green, you can go. But you're obeying traffic laws because you're a guy and you understand you don't want a ticket. So you're waiting in the last red. So you're waiting for it to turn green. Now, it's not green yet, but it begins to turn green. It's like it's still lime. It's not all the way to green. But your wife is sitting over here beside you and this watcher thing's working. And she's watching everything that's going on. And she's watching in great detail because women are great detail watchers. And so she sees the light, and, to, and she leans over and says, It's green. You can go now. <laughs> and you think, This woman's trying to get on my last nerve. But that's not what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. She's trying to help you. And this help thing works in her all the time. She can't help it. It just works. And you have to understand, she is trying to help you. This is the way this deal works. Because women see things. Sometimes men can't see so clearly. They point things out. They point out little details about life. Why? Because you're going somewhere. 
in the green light. And you, you, you go because you're supposed to go and fulfill something wonderful in life. You know, sometimes we're driving down the road on a freeway or something. And you know how it is when you're, you're, you got a truck right over here and you're passing this truck and you get this feeling that truck's starting to kind of come over. And here's Trudy says this all the time. She'll say, does he see you? <laughs> and I've analyzed that. Honey, I don't know. I don't know what the man's thinking. I don't know. <laughs> she wants to help. So write this down. She wants to help me. And we need to honor that. Because the, the builder and the watcher. Now let's talk about, look at verse 3. Let's get into this. It says, Behold, the children are the heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. His best gift. Remember I said that? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. Actually, that word quiver in the original language is an interesting word. Not just like an arrow holder. But it means house of study. This is talking about children that are in the house of study. Happy is the man that has his children in the house of study. Or, here's the truth, they're learning about God when they're little. And, and if you want to have a happy life, talk to your little kids about Jesus. And talk to your little grandkids about Jesus. And get into their world with Jesus, right? It says that you won't be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Happy is the man. You know, this tells you the importance of men being involved in training children. I'm going to say that again. We need men involved in training children. You know, uh, I was involved in children's ministry. And it's not like I had a dream to get into that. It just kind of presented itself to me. In fact, I knew I was called in the ministry I had in my heart, I was called to do some things. And, and I met this guy that was in kids ministry and liked him. We became friends. And so he had this kids ministry and I thought, well, I'll just help him for a while until the day comes when I'll do what God's called me to do. And that's just the way I looked at it. But that wasn't the right way to look at it. In fact, that marked my life forever. And now the strongest part of my ministry is what I'm telling you right now. I like to teach on marriage. And, and, and I, I see the value of it. And I'll continue to do that. Trudy and I do that all the time. We do that together. But I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes I'm teaching on marriage and I get kind of frustrated because I think I'm throwing this stuff out. And I don't know if these people are going to do it. Because they've been, they think a certain way. And sometimes when people are grown, it's hard to change their thinking. I'm just being honest with you. And so I'm thinking, sometimes I'm thinking, man, I don't think you're getting this and I just want to leave. Because if you're not going to pay attention to this, I mean, I'm, my last name's Blunt. Can I get, get to the point? But here's the deal about little kids. When we, when we reach them, we're reaching like a, a, a palette that has not been painted on yet. Jesus talked about the, good, the different kinds of soil. He said, if you understand this parable, you'll, you'll understand every parable. And then there was, you know, different, four different kinds of soil. But one of them was the good soil, where the word is sown, and it comes up and produces a harvest. I believe with all my heart that's a heart of a child. Because they're pure. And it's the best time to learn about Jesus. And we need men. I think one of the reasons God blessed us with Gospel Bill. How many of you have ever seen Gospel Bill? You know what I'm talking about. A few of you. It was a kid's show. We were cowboys, and we taught Bible principles in our characters. We, you know, we acted out situations, 30-minute program. 
we had music. We had a music video, and then we preached the, a message to them, uh, a short message at the end. We led people, uh, kids to Christ at the end, end of our program. But I think one of the reasons God used that so much was we were men doing that. Thank God for women that will teach kids. But let me tell you what, that's not just a woman's job. We need men that will rise up. Let me read you some stats about men, what's going on in society right now. Uh, did you know 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes? 71% of high school dropouts from fatherless homes. Nine times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems in America come from fatherless homes. These stats go on and on and on and on because kids don't have daddies. So the daddies that we have, we need to rise up and be men that lead our kids, right? Uh, so it says that, that our children, we're to turn them into arrows. They will be like arrows. And what is an arrow? Think with me for a minute. An arrow is a weapon. An arrow does damage. That's what God wants our kids to be, arrows that do damage to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the enemy. But in order for an arrow to do what it's supposed to do, it has to be three things. It has to be aimed, it has to be prepared, and then it can be fired. So let's talk about those three things, and we'll close with that this morning. First of all, kids need to be aimed. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Isn't that a great promise? But it's all aiming is training. Children need to be trained. There's not like good kids and bad kids. There's trained kids and not trained kids. So we have the responsibility for training them. Who has the responsibility? Well, first of all, parents do and grandparents. But you're the first line of defense because God put those kids in your life and you have authority to train them. See, kids don't belong to the state and they don't belong to the church. Now, the church is there to help you, but they belong to you. But then on the other hand, or going right along with that, the church has a responsibility to partner with the parents to, to train little kids. Uh, we're, not called, we're not called to raise your kids, but we're called to help you and reinforce your parenting. And having kids ministry in church, let me talk about that for a minute. That's a big, big deal. If your church is going to fulfill what you're called to do, I tell pastors this all the time, you have to have a viable children's ministry that does two things. It's sharp, and it's a place that kids love to come to, but it's a part where they learn the Word of God. And it's a big, big deal if we're going to draw the people that we need. God's designed it that way. You know, I read this survey not long ago on the uh, reasons new people choose a church. And you may not think about it this morning, but there are people all over this part. What, what county is this? Gwinnett County. And they are desperate this morning. And they need help. And they're looking for God. And one of the best things we can do to bring them into the church is have a place for their kids. Listen to this. These are a survey of the top four reasons people choose a church today. Number one is because of doctrine. Isn't that interesting? People are looking for truth even though they don't know maybe what it looks like. But they inherently they want truth. Isn't that the way we are? We don't want to live a lie. We want the truth. There's so much vagueness out there right now. You know, in our society, in our politics, and everything that's going on. And, 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 but people want truth. They want right truth. And number two reason people choose a church. 
kids ministry. Number two, kids ministry. Number three is the music and the worship. Because we're living in a time when people are hungry to connect with God one-on-one. Isn't that beautiful? Wasn't the worship good this morning? Man, I walked in, I saw, this is sharp, and it looks good, and they do it well. They didn't, didn't just come in up here and have a jam session. You notice that? They practiced those songs. They knew where they were going. They were confident about it. It was well presented. There was smoke. Hallelujah. I'm all right, smoke. Come on. Make it look good. That's right. People are looking for uh, connecting worship. They want to find God. And worship is the way we connect with God. The Holy Spirit begins to move. And then number four is a pastor. But kids' ministry is a big deal. Because here's what happens. When you draw little kids, when you make a place for little kids, they'll come. But they bring people with them. They're called parents. <laughs> you know, my son has a church in Oklahoma City. And they make a big deal about their kids' ministry. They, they're three years old. They're in a rental facility. They have to set up, uh, tear down every weekend. It's a lot of work. And they're now running over 500 people. They're doing three services on Sunday morning. 9 o'clock, 1045, 1230. They, man. But they make a big deal about kids' ministry. And, uh, uh, and, and so there's a couple, just one story. There's this couple, real sharp couple that we met recently. And he, this guy and his wife, this guy is in the oil and gas business and his wife is an attorney. If you looked at them, you really wouldn't think that. They don't look like they're that smart, but they are apparently real sharp people, really quiet, you know, un, un, under the surface. Uh, but they told us this story. They were in a denominational church, but they were hungry for more and they weren't satisfied with the church. So somehow they heard about our church. So they came to check it out, brought their kids. They have two little kids, brought their kids to our church. So they come into the service, and they said, they thought through the service, the man and the wife thought, I don't know about this church. This is kind of crazy. Why? We've never seen things like this. Um, not sure this is for us. So they go pick their kids up. The next weekend, they're going to check out another church. But their kids begin to put pressure on them. You know, kids can do that. They said, no, we want to go back to that church. They love children's church. They love, we call it Boomtown. We want to go back to Boomtown. So they brought them back. It's like, okay, we'll go because our kids love it. And then they came back the third time. They'd been coming there for about three months. One day they're sitting in church. They looked at each other and said, this is where we're supposed to be. It took them some time, but their kids got it right away. Their kids heard from God. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? But see, kids bring adults with them. A lot of times I think, Churches don't understand that if we make a place for kids, you know, okay, we'll have little kids, but little kids, they're not going to help with the church. Because, you know, little kids, their jobs aren't very good. You ever notice that? They don't have them. They can't pay for it. But they bring people that will pay for it. And that's the way it works. And so we, we need to honor, all of us in the church need to honor the kids' ministry. See, some of you need to help back there in kids' ministry. Can I just be bold to tell you that? Because it's volunteers, right? It's the way it is in our church. We got a lot of volunteers that facilitate this because it takes a lot of people. And some of you need to help. But if you don't help, at least do this. Be nice to little kids running around the church. I know that's a, you know, you got to understand this. You got mamas bringing, single mamas bringing kids to church. And the only People, though, the only men in particular, those little kids may see that love God are the guys at church because they're living in a rough world out there, right? 
And so us as men, you see these little kids, go talk to them. Get into their world. Be nice to them. Get down on their level. Hey, buddy, how you doing? You know Jesus loves you. I'm so glad you're at church today. And then even take it further. Pull out your wallet and give them a 10. Yeah. Say, Brother Ken, that's a lot of money. That's a lot. That little kid knows what to do with every bit of it. <laughs> we need to all have a vision for the next generation. It's not just about you. There's coming a day you're going to check out. You won't be here anymore. All the stuff you did is going to be gone. You can't take your stuff with you. You never ever knows that. Nothing. You say, well, I got a Mercedes. God don't care. I mean, it's fine. You have a, whatever you got. If you have a big house, that's great. Can't take it with you. But you can't take your relationships. You can't take your family relationships. And uh, God, understand this. What we leave behind, we have to leave in the next generation. You know, Billy Sunday saw that. The older I get, I see that more and more. That I want, I, I want my son and my, my daughter to carry on what we taught them as little kids. Put it in their kids. Put it in the, their, the, the, their grandkids. Because God, it wasn't just about serving you, although it was all about you, right? But it's about you serving, it's about saving you so you can be a blessing. And you can leave something behind because of your influence for Christ. It's a big deal. I, I have a Jewish proverb here I want to read you. If we do not indelibly imprint the Word of God, Jews say this. This is so powerful. If we do not indelibly imprint the Word of God deep within the bones of our children... We are one generation away from extinction. Did you get that? Isn't that powerful? The Jews also say this. They believe your true love for God is defined by how much you train your children about them. So we need to aim our kids. We need to prepare our kids. See, Jesus wants to come into their life. Arrows have to be prepared. My son-in-law is a bow hunter in Oklahoma. And every year when, when deer season is about to start, he spends a whole Saturday getting his arrows ready because they have to be prepared if they're going to go where they're supposed to go and get that deer. He's got to make sure they're straight. The feathers have got to be just right. The point has got to, the, the, the arrowhead has got to be just right. And, and this, is, this is what this is talking about. First of all, our kids need Jesus when they're little. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Turn there with me. You know, Jesus ministered to kids a lot. And I don't hear this preached so much, but I'm preaching it, okay? Mark 10, 13. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples, we could say maybe that's his, you know, that's the disciples. You could say maybe the church rebuked those who brought them. Wow. And you read on and Jesus got upset when they didn't get this. Because he wanted to touch little children. What does that mean? Jesus wants to come into a life, to the life of a person when they're young. Kids can be saved when they're little. They can meet Jesus. Now they're meeting Jesus on his level or on a very elementary level. They're little kids. Their mind's not developed. As they grow, they'll, they'll have to get to know Jesus on a different mental level. Nevertheless, I believe when Jesus comes into a lot to the life of a person when they're young, something's planted in them. No matter what happens in their life, they'll never get away from that. Happened to me. 
I was a little 11-year-old boy in a Sunday school class one day, and I remember when a, uh, the farmer that was teaching our class, reading out of a quarterly, remember anybody ever heard of quarterlies? Said, uh, he's talking about prayer. His name was Bobby Sizemore. He says, boys, prayer is talking to God. And you don't have to be in church to talk to God. You can talk to, I talk to God on my tractor or on my combine when I'm working because God's everywhere. And he said this, if you ever get in trouble, God's with you right where you are. Wow, I got in trouble. And God used that to call me. I remembered that guy's words. And I got saved when I was 11 years old. I got away from God, but God brought me back because somebody invested in me when I was little. It's a big deal. Children are a big part of the end time move of God. You know, the world population right now is over 7 billion people. Over 2 billion or almost one third of the world is under the age of 15. 15 years old. In Africa, 50% of the nation of Africa are kids under the age of 15. Isn't that amazing? I believe a lot of the end time move of God is going to be kids. And kids can know Jesus at their level. I remember one night we were... uh, Back in the day, 20 plus years ago, we used to do, I say we, Gospel Bill, Willie George's ministry. We would do the kids' ministry for big conventions. And back in the 80s and 90s, some of these conventions were huge. Like Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland, we did those conventions. And Kenneth Hagin's convention in the summer called Camp Meeting would run 10,000 people. You guys probably went to that, didn't you? Uh, it was big, wasn't it? And, and we did kids' ministry. They'd have three services a day, but we would do the kids' ministry three services a day. In other words, we had kids 6 to 12, and we'd have as many as 12, 1,300 kids at one time. You didn't hear what I just said. 1,300 kids in one room, like a sea of children. And like, wow, they're loud. and they're. I remember one time we were uh, looking out of the curtain as they're coming in, Trudy and I and another guy that worked with us. And we, all these kids are coming in. There's just roar. roar, roar, roar. And, we're, and we thought about what we were about to do. And, and Trudy leans over and says, you know what? These kids don't know it. But they could take us over if they wanted to. <laughs> remember that? And this guy says, oh, dear God, don't even say that. <laughs> Chills just ran up. A lot of kids, man. But we're ministering to these kids. So anyway, one night we were doing a gospel bill show for him, me and Willie George, and I was playing my character. He's playing gospel bill. We had a backdrop of an old West town. We, this was Kenneth Copeland's uh, meeting. I think there were probably 800 kids, small crowd that night. And uh, so I led them in a song at one part, uh, part of the service, a worship song. And I don't know. It's just like we're singing and it's like the, you could sense God was moving, you know. It was really cool. His presence. You know, God's presence sometimes manifests itself, right? So I got done with my song, and I walked behind our little stage deal. And, and Willie walks out as Gospel Bill. But here's the deal. He walks out, and he didn't say a word. And he probably stood there in front of those kids for 30 minutes, and you could hear for 30 seconds. I'm sorry. Thank you, honey. Not 30 minutes. 30 seconds. 30 minutes is impossible. 30 seconds. And you could hear a pin drop. Those kids were not saying a word. It's like a hush fell on that room. And he stood there, and in 30 seconds, he says, Boys and girls, can't you sense Jesus is with us tonight? And I was backstage, and it was, it was awesome. Well, the next morning, I can't remember how we closed the service, but the next morning, I'm walking 
because I've got the morning session by myself with all those kids. So I'm walking across this area, and this lady begins yelling at me, Hey, hey, Nicodemus, hey! And I'm thinking, okay, well, weird, I don't know. Let me, and, but she can't. So I said, yes. She says, oh, oh my goodness. She was all excited. Wow, praise the Lord. She had a little boy with her. Isn't that awesome? Awesome. So praise God. She just, and finally I said, what are you, what are you talking about, ma'am? She said, my son told me what happened last night. I said, yeah. She said, yeah. I said, you, you led in a worship song and, and you left. I said, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Gospel Bill came out. Yeah. And said, he just stood there and said, can't you sense Jesus is with us? I said, oh, yeah. It was powerful. Powerful moment. She said, well, my little boy is eight years old and he was sitting about halfway back. She said that when Gospel Bill stood there and said that, he saw Jesus walk around from behind the stage. Jesus walked behind Gospel Bill and folded his arms and smiled and shook his head, all the little kids. And then he dropped his arms and walked back around the stage. I said, really? <laughs> that little boy had a vision of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, our goal is to get kids to see Jesus, but what I'm saying is Jesus does special things. And sometimes it's in the world of a child. And we need to teach him it's a big deal. Lord, I thank you for your presence right now. You sense his presence now? I do too. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray for the children of this church right now. And I, I, I'm led to pray for protection and safety for them. And Lord, keep our kids from the evils of this world, things that might go on in their lives. Protect them against uh, predators that are out there. Lord, protect them out in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Keep them. And Lord, we also pray for those that are to come to this church. I'm seeing that in my spirit right now. There are many that are supposed to come here. And they're supposed to bring their kids, but they're supposed to come and be a part of this church. And, Lord, we see them right now, and we praise you. We thank you. We give you glory for that. We, we set our faith on that for the growth that is to come, for the vision of this house to expand and fulfill their purpose and bring people to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Everybody look at me. It says, except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord keep the city. Here's the great news about this whole deal. Wherever you are in your family, God wants to help you. Except the Lord. You're not called to do this alone. Isn't that good? Except the Lord. The Lord wants to help us build it. He wants to keep it. He wants to watch over us. Praise God. Praise God.